Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. All right, here we are with episode number 228. This is part two of our discussion with Scott Egbert. If you haven't listened to part one, I would encourage you to go do that. It was a really interesting conversation. That was episode 227. Scott went through a career series of career transitions where he got out of school to be an aerospace engineer, went to work as a mechanical engineer, ended up getting an executive MBA, and then had a career switch to finance with the end goal of becoming a business unit CFO or chief financial officer. He had some interesting points about uh, communicating with finance. Always interesting to to get some coaching on how to do that. And had some interesting ideas about uh, presenting to technical versus executive audiences. So definitely, again, worth uh, listening to that. Oh, before I forget, he also had some, uh, some ideas about analyzing one's career as lines on a profit and loss statement. And if you want more details on that, go ahead and go back to episode 227 to listen to that. But uh, here we are with part two. Uh, Nick, what would you recommend people listen out for? It's going to be interesting because the tides are going to turn. What do you do, listener, when a goal you had set becomes something that you don't want to be your goal anymore? That happens to Scott, and you're going to get to hear about it out of the gate. And then what would you do if you lost joy in your work? How do you find it again? Can you find it again? Is that even a realistic expectation that we can find joy in anything that we choose to do? Listen closely. How about you, John? Anything stand out? I think you covered it pretty well there. Maybe the one other thing that I would listen for was a really interesting question that you asked about, which is seeing any patterns once Scott gets into coaching. Well, I don't want to give away too much. So Instead of me telling you about it or us telling you about it, why don't we get to part two of our discussion with Scott Egbert. Let me ask this, you know, we, again, looked at your LinkedIn and at a certain point you had this like transition where you started your own business and you were more focused on coaching and leadership skills and you kind of left the day job. Can you talk us through that transition? 
Yeah. And before I do that, I should probably back up a bit because you asked me the question about the different finance jobs. And I, oh, I, yeah, sure. I stopped about halfway. I realized that. And there was a point. So I mentioned earlier about I had this goal of I wanted to be a, a business unit CFO. And I reached a point about 10 or so years in where I worked closely enough with one of the business unit CFOs to realize that actually I don't want that job. And what happened for me is I realized that, and I think it's good to realize what you don't want to do, but I didn't replace that with a different goal. And so I really started on, on a drift. And so I took some, so remember before I kind of had this, this checkbox that I was working through. The reverse timeline is, is what I like to call it. The reverse timeline. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I kind of cast that to the side and said, okay, now what? And so I sought out a role in finance that just honestly looked interesting and looked fun. And so for me, we had a knowledge management program and they're looking for a, a program manager. I had no experience with knowledge management. I had no experience with program management for that matter, but it looked really interesting. It was kind of off the beaten path from the reverse checklist. And so I, I went and did that and I had a blast. It was, I got to work with a lot of different people that I wouldn't have worked with otherwise in IT and HR. Got, I kind of got to use the other side of my brain because everything I'd done was quantitative. And so I did that for a couple of years. And that, through a strange sequence of events, opened up a door into Intel Capital, which is our venture capital arm. And I went and did that for several years. And again, drifting, I just drifted into some really interesting roles. And so that's where, you know, I get the kind of the equity and a, and a bit of M&A experience. Uh, so that kind of came full circle back from the engineering days. I reached a point where I finally drifted into a role that I realized, uh, this is not for me. And it was bound to catch up with me at some point. And so I had this experience where I just literally kind of woke up one morning and was just what am I doing here? I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm in this role. I'm not wired for this type of a role. I just felt like a fish out of water. And I went back to a career coach and the alumni services at my business school and started working with her and said, I'm, I'm lost. I need help. And so she spent a few hours interviewing me and did a career assessment and she said, Scott, your your passion is all around people. And I'd been doing quite a bit of mentoring uh, at that point. I didn't really mention that yet. Um, but she's like, it makes sense that you're not really interested in finance anymore because it's not about the numbers and uh, and the projects. It's about helping people and elevating people. And said, have you ever considered working in HR? And so I thought, <laughs> when I thought of HR... I thought of that person that you have to bring in when there's a performance issue, right? And they have to do the dirty work. And like, no, I have no interest in, in doing that whatsoever. And so she had to educate me on, you know, there's manager development and leadership development and all the training programs. Like, where do you think these, this all comes from? It's like, oh, I, could, I could be interested in that. And so I started looking at HR roles. I, I was going to pivot from finance to HR. And in the process, I 
discovered that we had a coaching program. And I had just taken this three-day course. It's called um, Coaching for Excellence. And I and I just got the bug. Like I I loved it right out of the gate. And so and there's, you know, an opportunity to, oh, I could actually do this for a job and get paid for this. Uh, that was just really eye-opening for me. So that started me down a path of this time I'd finally learned after however many decades, I actually went and talked to people who were doing the job and found out what that's really like and what does it take to, you know, get certified in that. What does a day in the life look like once you do have that? And so that's that's what led me down kind of that certification uh, path for for coaching. Sorry, I left out a whole bunch of the backstory for that question you asked. I want to make sure I heard that right about the career assessment. Was that a company benefit that was offered through Intel that you were able to take advantage of, or or was it some external thing? No, this was through my business school. Okay, um, it's a it's a benefit that they provide for alumni. Apologies, missed that. And it was more. It sounds like it was a a strengths and weakness finder type exercise, almost. It was. There's several different career assessments, and the thing I would say is don't rely on any assessment in isolation to tell you what you should do when you grow up. They're all. They have some very good information, but they're none of them are perfect. And so this one was. It really looked at kind of your your passions. Um, and, and your skills. So, what are you? You might be passionate about. Like, I was passionate about astronomy you know, at a very early age. I didn't have any skill in that, right? So, I wasn't ready to go be an astronomer. And looked at experiences, and it looked at um, you know preferences, right? So, and these assessments have various different forms of kind of preferences or personality assessments. And so, it was kind of a, a culmination of of all of those. I really like that. And I love the fact that you were open to at least getting educated on, well, it's not actually what HR is in in the realm of what I'm talking about for this function. Because a lot of people would be like, HR, I'm out. Nope, don't want to hear anymore. I don't even want to hear what you have to say because you're just going to try and tell me that it's better than it is. <laughs> and I have nothing against people in HR, by the way. I used to work with some fantastic folks at an HR services company, some of the coolest people I've ever worked with. They do get a bad rap. Well, I mean, you could start an HR consulting company. Like, what was that guy in Up in the Air who just gets paid to fly around and fire people? Maybe maybe that would be soul-sucking now that I say that out loud. Okay. And you heard it here on Nerd Journey, folks. We did it live. The idea of the intersection of passion and skills, that is really interesting to me. Maybe I'd heard something similar, but I hadn't put, heard it put in quite those uh, those terms. And then maybe there's a third overlap of also, somebody's willing to pay for it. That might be important if you plan to make a career out of it. That It turns out that is important for most people. <laughs> that was so dry. That was so dry. That was great. We could probably have a whole conversation around, because uh, there's different schools of thoughts on, you know, chasing your passion for work or not doing that because passions don't necessarily pay. But uh, I'll stick to the questions you ask and I'll... Yeah, you're right. There are some good books on that. We could go down a, a big rabbit hole. I see a, a return, a return interview. Yeah, there's there's more there's more there. When you're talking about you, you kind of woke up one day and had the realization like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? I don't I don't want to do what I'm doing right now. 
you mentioned the feeling of drifting, you tossed out your previous plan, were some of the early warning signs. Were there other warning signs that you or maybe someone close to you picked up on before you had that kick in the face moment? That's a really good question. Yes, there was. And so I had been, I mentioned I was an Intel Capital and I was I was there for about eight years. And yeah, I'd gotten reasonably good at it. I, I kind of knew how to get stuff done. I knew all the people. And I allowed myself to get pretty comfortable. And we were talking about the passion a minute ago. I wasn't super passionate. I liked it. It was interesting. I really enjoy learning, and that's a huge learning curve. Um, I find the startup ecosystem to be very interesting. But to your question, my wife made the comment, you don't really seem to, like when you talk about work, I don't see any joy. And I got really defensive when she said that. So I'm like, there's not supposed to be joy. I get a paycheck. <laughs> that's That's my joy. And so, you know, my defensiveness came from a place of, it was an excuse. And my perception at that time, and maybe it's not terribly different now, but I, I find relatively few people have the opportunity to do work, work that they get paid for, and they're super passionate about it. And so my belief at that time is, hey, that's just not a realistic expectation. I'm getting paid. That is a realistic expectation. So no, I don't. I, I you know, I don't have joy. It's interesting that you were you were defensive first. Was it like a two phase? Like, no, no, I am joyful, and then, well, no, I'm not, but I'm joyful every time the check lands. And you know, the idea of getting joy from your job is just silly. Or I know you're right all the time, wife of mine, and you're not right this time. Uh, so I know you're not asking for marriage advice, but um, yeah, don't ever say that out loud. I may or may not have thought that though, and I I talk about limiting beliefs a lot in, in my coaching. And my limiting belief is that the, the people who have joy in their work are people who are, they're doing some kind of nonprofit or they're doing, you know, ministry. My brother is in ministry. He loved his work. And it's like great for those people, but people who are doing just regular corporate jobs, they, they don't have joy. This was kind of my belief system. And so the thing is, like, she didn't just bring it up once. She kind of brought it up again and again. And, you know, just those subtle pokes every now and then. So it got me to thinking. And, and so I continued to be defensive. But there was kind of that, you know, is there something better out there? Just kind of planting that seed of doubt. When I took that first coaching class, and then I went into the certification program. And that was hard work. Because again, working full time. I guess I have a penchant for this, right? And then going through this is a pretty rigorous uh, coach certification program at, at Hudson that I went through uh, for about nine months. And it was hard work, but I just, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, it wasn't a, you know, a typical classroom environment. It was, okay, we're going to give you a little bit and then go out and coach, right? And so part of the requirements is we had to go, you know, coach for 50 hours. And I loved every minute, but I still do. And I think she saw, you know, I was talking about it, like she saw my face light up and said, like, yeah, that's, that's what was lacking. Funny how your family can do that. And so as usual, she's right. I think the, the excitement about the thing 
allows you to flex up and take it on, even though for a time, keywords for a time, <laughs> it's a ton of extra work. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of commenting and maybe thinking like, oh, so then you realized, yeah, it is possible to have joy in your uh, in your work environment. And although something you said struck a nerve with me, which was earlier on when you were still riding the learning curve, it sounded like you were enjoying things. Was it the coaching or was it the learning or is it a combination of those things? Like every time you were challenged, like, oh, here's a hard problem. You're not an expert at this, but we need you to become one. Was that when you were fully engaged and, and really interested in getting joy or was it like the specific topic? You're talking back in the finance now? Yes. Like, yes. is that a recurring pattern for you? Like, oh, the being faced with a, a difficult new role where you have to learn a bunch of new things. Yeah. And that maybe goes back to a comment I made at the very beginning about getting bored easily. But I love learning. I always have, even though at a young age, I didn't particularly love school, but I loved learning. Well, those are two different things. Yeah. My, my sons are reminding me of that every day. <laughs> so that, that learning curve ramping into a new role, I always enjoyed. There's an element of challenge with that. There's an element of expansion with that. So th that piece, I think I, I always enjoyed, you know, as I was going through the different roles. But then the coaching was also, uh, especially there, there seemed to be a special payoff for that. Yeah. So I, I also enjoyed the learning with the coaching and I still do as I continue that journey. But the actual work itself, like being able to make a difference with the people that I'm coaching, you know, seeing them be able to break through issues that I was talking about the limiting beliefs. Like we all have limiting beliefs and that's kind of at the, at the core of coaching is kind of discovering what those are and then how to break through them. That I just find extremely rewarding, you know, being able to help people work through the really tough stuff. You mentioned uh, Hudson. I was wondering if there are, you know, multiple schools of thought or philosophy within coaching that leadership coaching field that in Hudson represents one versus like a different school with a different pillar of, of thought or understanding. Can you give us any insight into that world? Uh, yeah. And I can't speak to all of the other coaching schools, excuse me, and, and how they are different. But I'd say, you know, some of the tenets of, of Hudson, one of the, the big emphasis is what they call leading from behind. And so it's a question that I get a lot, especially in the very beginning of a, of a coaching and give, I have a discovery call as well. What's the difference between coaching and mentoring? And so if, if you come to me as a mentor, you're coming to me because I'm a subject matter expert in some topic that you're looking to become more skilled at. And so there's a, there's going to be a very directive relationship there. Let me tell you how to get better in that. If I'm a really good mentor, you know, I may give you some opportunity to experiment and, and kind of learn on your own. But again, it's, it's the, the relationship is I'm the expert. You're the not expert in a, in a mentor kind of client relationship. As a coach, I'm not the expert. You know, you're the expert on you. you know, nobody knows you better than, than you do, but I'm managing a process. And so. Understanding what your goals are, you know, you're the one that sets the goals, but I can help you with that if you, you know, if you're looking for clarity. 
being that objective third party, you know, being able to challenge you sometimes and encourage you other times. And so it's not, as a coach, I'm not telling you what to do. I am leading you through a process. And that's kind of the, you know, the leading from behind, you know, you're the one that's taking the steps, you know, to make progress towards your goals. That's awesome. And you also managed to answer the what's the difference between coaching and mentoring question that I had uh, locked and loaded. So that's amazing. I was just wondering about that process of getting certified and then deciding, actually, this is what I want to do. And I don't necessarily want to do it at Intel. Yeah. And for me, you know, there's there's a timing element there. So I was coaching on the side in, in addition to my day job. And that was actually my plan A was to become a full-time leadership coach there. And that opportunity wasn't there, you know, when I got done with my certification. And so kind of the question I had to confront is, you know, do I want to continue just kind of doing my day job and and doing this on the side? Or do I want to take the plunge and actually do work that is most fulfilling to me? And not an easy decision. And again, it goes back to the values and priorities where a person is at in, in their life. And it's also not if you're married, that's not a decision if you value your marriage that you're going to make in isolation. In my case, I, my wife was, was pushing me pretty strongly in the direction of you need to go do what you love. And so I, I kind of had the green light and together we felt like the time was right. So you took the plunge, but you had, you had already had some clients, it sounded like, or you were doing some coaching outside of work hours. So it was really just a matter of, at that point, fully investing in maybe some of the other functions in what would include like a complete business, like a marketing plan, like a customer acquisition plan, all those things. How difficult was that to do when that wasn't necessarily your goal? Uh, yeah, I'm still on. I'm still on that learning curve. <laughs> yeah, I'm wishing I would have taken more marketing classes back in business school. I would have. I would have mixed up my electives a little differently. We optimize for what for the short term, right? And then uh, we really we never do. go back. Although nothing stops you from taking marketing classes now, I suppose. That's right. Yeah, and so the reality is you know, through the finance journey, there was no real um, need for me to learn about marketing and the, and the client acquisition. So those are things that you're really coming into this. I'm, I'm hitting at the ground, ground level in terms of my knowledge base. Got to start somewhere. At some point in time, somebody's going to say, maybe you should start a podcast and you need to, I was going to say punch that person in the face, but maybe like that's not the, that's not the right response. It's definitely not the right response. I, I actually think that starting a podcast is a terrific way to advertise your business. I think we've talked to several people um, who immediately come to mind. Some of those uh, episodes have recently gone out. People who kind of got into coaching or counseling over specific things and started podcasting and ended up being like a huge part of why people come to them specifically for coaching. But it is a lot of effort. Yeah, we we know <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to add like another uh, eight hours to your week or one hours of con one hour of content, like that's a it's a great way to. I call it a force multiplication event, but the multiplier is below one. It's between one and zero. So eight hours of work for one hour of content. You know, it's funny. It's something that I had not considered 
at all coming into this conversation. But one of the things I'm really trying to do is give myself a bit of permission to throw some spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks uh, because I don't have it all figured out. And so it, it's an opportunity for some experimentation, which is, isn't, isn't something I've really historically done in my career. But I'm going in knowing full well that there are some things that I'm trying that are not going to pan out. And maybe there are some things that I'm not considering that that would be productive. So, yeah. Well, you're just walking the profit and loss statement and trying to figure out how much to invest in R&D and how much to invest in sales and marketing. Like It seems perfectly logical. I was thinking about Kristen Carter, and she um, has an entire practice around coaching people who have ADHD and has an entire podcast built around that. And I think one of the interesting things that she said was, I went looking for a podcast about this and the ones that I found I didn't like. And at a certain point I realized, oh, if it doesn't exist, then you're the one who has to build it. You can't just wait around hoping that somebody else like does this. So it is something to think about. That is one I definitely want to check out. I, we have multiple kids with ADHD, so that's very relevant. Yeah, it's definitely an episode, you know, worth thinking about listening to anybody who's thinking about starting a business around some kind of consulting or teaching or coaching or mentoring. Same with Kate Donovan, the episodes right before that. Yes, excellent point. The The power of having you know, a powerful podcast, powerful podcast voice, I guess, you know, which means that you need to be meeting the needs of the people who are listening to the podcast, which means, I mean, in theory, that means that those people are already looking for answers and they listen to what you have to say, which is really good, but general. And they need that content specifically tailored to them, or they need you as a point of accountability. You know, that it could be either one of those things or going in a different way, you know, being asked to to speak on the topic, you know, at conferences, keynotes, like, you know, there's, there's a number of different ways to, to go to develop that business. Now we're giving career advice. We really wanted to hear about yours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was, that I was just our it. free complimentary coaching session that we do. And don't charge people for Thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Since you started your practice, have you been able to pick apart any patterns that you're seeing with people coming to you saying, hey, I'm looking for this. Hey, I need help with this. And then you start to see like over time, like, oh, I'm getting a lot of hits with people kind of needing help in this area and this area, but not in this area. Yeah, this was something that as I was, you know, I started the coach certification program and I went and I, I talked to people who were coaching for a living. And it's just this common theme that I was hearing is, well, you have to find your niche or you have to find where you're going to specialize. And I'm like, I, I've just started coaching. I have no idea. So, you know, fast forward to now and there is... You know, it's not the only area that I coach, but there is this this recurring theme of people that are stuck in their career. And so that's why I say, you know, career development and transition, because that seems to be where just a lot of people need help. It shows up in different ways, right? It could be, hey, I've been 
passed up for promotion now a number of times. I'm realizing there's something with me. It's not just a bad manager. Yeah, how do I get over the hump? Or I'm a high performer and I've been a high performer and I'm just burned out. Or it's, I've been doing this for a long time and I used to love it, but I'm just not feeling the juice anymore and I don't know how to get it back. And so those are just a few examples that all kind of point to the same thing of I'm, I'm kind of stuck where I'm at in my career and I don't know how to take that next step forward. Well, that kind of dovetails for our entire reason of having this podcast, because I think that is something that we both Nick and I, you know, after we made a career move, kind of looked back at where we had been and go, oh, it's not necessarily a dead end, but it certainly could be. And you could even move around in that specific role and make small steps forward, but not big ones. If you are not careful, the treadmill is slowly moving backwards. So you have to constantly expend effort just to stay level because that's the technology world, right? So if you're in IT operations, you can't just stop learning and just pick a technology and just coast because you're slowly losing value because the past a certain point, you know, the, you're just losing adoption of that technology, not, not getting it anymore. I think everything that we've said about that to this point has been tactical. And we certainly have not gone through any program to coach people, you know, and get certified, but it is an interesting idea. Maybe something uh, not quite as uh, intense, (laughs) or maybe one of us will catch the love and, and actually go through an intense program. And then we'll come to you and we'll ask you about it ahead of time and what it's like on the other side, because that's a lesson that we'll have learned. There you go. I feel like you're looking at me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to play paper, rock, scissors for it. I'm, I'm really curious, Scott, if I may, for those out there considering a career change in high tech, at least right now, during times of semi uncertainty, layoffs. Any specific advice you might give them from what you've seen so far? Well, you should get a career coach, first of all. That's priority number one. I say that. That sounds that sounds self-serving. I, there's something to don't go it alone. Having someone that can walk with you on that journey, they can bounce things off to help you see that objectively. If it's, if, if it's not a career coach, at, at least do that with someone you trust. We've kind of hit on this at various points in the conversation, but I can't put enough emphasis on networking. So if you're looking at a career change, finding those people in your network, and if you don't have them in your network, then work your network to find them, right? Who are the people that are doing the types of jobs that you're looking at? Uh, Because if you're going to embark on a career change, you want to be as as well informed as you can be. So understanding, you know, what what does a day in the life that job look like, and the things that are important to you. So if career progression is important to you, what does career progression in that new field look like, or what does what does balance look like, or what does security look like? Do you have to be an investment banker to succeed? Or work investment banker hours. I think that's the that's the thing that we circled back on. Scott, if 
our listeners want to talk to you a little bit more or follow you for content, what would be the best way for them to find you? Yeah, so I post regularly on LinkedIn. Um, I have a newsletter that I publish weekly on on LinkedIn. If someone wants to have a conversation, there's there's a link there on my LinkedIn profile to schedule a free conversation. Always happy to do that. And that doesn't even necessarily have to be around coaching, right? It could be I, I've had people reach out to me, you know, through that link just to, hey, I'm I'm considering this career change. What do you think? And so those don't necessarily result in a coaching engagement, but uh, again, it's just it's an opportunity to if you're thinking about something or just want someone to bounce that off of, it's an opportunity to do that. That's terrific. I'm assuming that you would post your upcoming podcast there too, if when that comes to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> we're looking forward to that. <laughs> now that we've recorded it, we're going to hold you to it, Scott. Like that's all there is yeah. to it. It's on the reverse timeline. It's on tape now. Yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta happen. <laughs> there's a whole new, there's a whole learning curve to it. If that's, if that's any, uh, any attraction. That's what we're gonna start doing to guests now. We're just gonna be like, listen, you're gonna start a, co- a podcast because we had you on the show. Like that's all there is to it. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a whole new reverse timeline that just started now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, Scott, we really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for letting us ask so many crazy questions. We appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it, guys. Thanks for having me. Likewise. And we wish you good luck. Yeah, take care. Thank you. You too. Nick, I have to laugh because it sounds like Scott finally took the advice that he was giving and shadowed a job before he got it. And that's what actually led him to realize that he didn't want to become a business unit CFO anymore. And uh, it just reminds me in episode 227, where he kept on saying, oh, no, that would have been a good idea to shadow that job before I got it. But I didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, that's the closest way to figuring out what it really entails. Do some shadowing, maybe even try and get someone to offload projects on you or work closely with them on projects. What you're describing is when he decided he didn't want the CFO job anymore and he started drifting, as he calls it. I do like the fact that he dove into something that seemed interesting and fun. And the first time, it was interesting and fun. Even though he didn't have a clear goal, I don't really see a huge problem with doing that, even if you don't have a clear goal. I know I'm interested in this. It sounds really fun based on what I've heard. I'm going to give it a shot. Even if you don't know where you want to be in five years, I think that's okay. Any thoughts? Yeah, it sounded like he was at an employer that had a culture of rotating management through different roles. I think I remember that from episode 227 as well. So inevitably, you might get roles that you like or don't like. And it's 
interesting. I, I kind of wondered if there would ever be kind of a transition where you are able to say, I'd prefer to stay in this area. I, I'm just getting so much joy from it um, that I'd love to just keep on doing it, maybe in different roles, but to stay in the same field or, or business unit. I don't know if that was an option, and I, and I really feel like we missed an opportunity by not asking him. But that that was the thing that popped into my mind as I kind of listened back. It, it's too bad. You know, the rotation got him to a different spot, right, in the venture capital arm where he really wasn't getting as much joy afterwards, which is, like I said, it's really unfortunate that that can lead to that. And it's surprising because he was there for eight years, right? And he didn't get to stay at the place where he was getting a lot of joy. And then the place that it wasn't that exciting, he was there for eight years. Yeah, it's a challenge. And I think it just goes to reinforce the pattern that we cannot always see ourselves, how miserable we are, how busy we are, how stressed we are, until someone points it out. And in Scott's case, it was his wife saying, hey, I don't think you have the joy anymore. But I like the the meta value of the coach getting coached. <laughs> yes. Before he became a coach, he sought out a coach. And the coach said, it's not about finance. It's about people. And you should think about going into HR. Well, that's that's like a bad word to most people. He modeled a really good thing there in being open-minded to learning what is it really? Here's what I've heard. Is that really what it is? Seeking to understand. And he became interested in it and was about to seek that out when something changed his direction a little bit. Right. That eventual path to becoming a coach full-time and starting his own business, that was really interesting. I think Again, something that stuck in my mind was the the patterns. You know, you asked the question again, like, what are the patterns that you've seen there? And and it was different variations of people getting stuck in parts of their career, and they didn't quite understand how to move forward in any of the different scenarios that he listed. It's it's so interesting that people have the self awareness to be able to seek out a coach in those situations because sometimes you know and Scott is a is a prime example of this is that happens and you just it's not part of your consciousness you know co- your conscious thinking that you are stuck in in this position and you don't have a path forward it just kind of sneaks up on you and and somebody else has to point it out maybe it speaks to kind of like therapy where you should treat it as something you do on a regular basis to tune up your career, just like you would tune up your mental health. Hey, what's going on? Have you been feeling well? You know, all of those kinds of inventory questions that sometimes are not great at at doing a self-inventory. Yeah, that's like that destaging process in storage from the cash to the capacity tier that's oftentimes slower. So that's what I would equate to what happens when we don't take time to process how we're feeling or notice it you get this latency between the the cash and the capacity tier and the deep staging process isn't happening as it should. I understand what you're saying, but it, to me, it's a little bit more like I'm going from, from Ram 
to like a you know slow disc tier mm-hmm. where you just get contention. Okay, that's enough nerd analogies, guys. Like we're we're not actually like this like twenty four seven. But no, I, I I do get your point. Of course, there's the advice to network. That was something that came out. And actually, a couple different good pieces of advice. You know, starting with maybe you should get an independent third party to kind of reflect with you. And talk to people who do the thing you want to do. Yes. He definitely absorbed that lesson, you know, finally, third time's a charm, and uh, <laughs> and is passing that along. Great stuff from Scott. Great stuff. So if you need a coach, we've interviewed at least three now, actually four, if you count Brett Hill, Kate Donovan, Kristen Carter. If we left somebody out just off the top of my head, I'm sorry. We're going to need an entire uh, section in our uh, graph.nerd-journey.com of just coaches. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, if that's all, we'll see you next time. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at BJourneyman, for Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. staging that's hilarious <laughs> you are such a nerd and i'm a nerd for knowing exactly what it is that you're talking about and going yeah yeah that's a great analogy actually you said it was not a good analogy if i recall but that was just part of me like uh poking fun at you oh, i got you yeah yeah <laughs> oh my goodness